0: All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Have a Little with John Force here, and I am excited to have this guy on today with me. Uh, We go back to our high school days, and uh, he was always that kind of guy that we try to stump with some questions back in high school. Uh, We'd always hit him up with some sports question, and he'd have the answer in, like, milliseconds. So um, my guest today is uh, Dom Amore. He's a musician, a scholar, a sports writer, a columnist for the Hartford Current. He's covered the New York Yankees. He does UConn uh, sports. He's also an author of uh, an amazing book uh, called The Franchise on the Rise, the first 20 years of the New York Yankees. And I believe he actually has his own hamburger uh, named after him, too. Maybe we could get him to tell us a little bit about that. Welcome, uh, Dom. It's good to see you and hear from you.
1: John, John same here. Uh, you know, we've been friends for so long, and uh, happy to be here. Happy to be here. Happy to be on with you today.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Um, basically, uh, I want everybody to get to know a little bit about you. Uh, You are obviously the whole thing about my show is I try to talk to folks that are doing stuff they love and have followed their dreams. and, And you're one of those guys. And, um, I want them uh, to know about uh, how you got involved in all this and uh, where your love for sports first started. Because, I, like I said, you are just an amazing uh, walking encyclopedia, especially when it comes to yeah. baseball, man. So, tell us a little bit about yeah, yourself like and the, how you got into all this.
1: Yeah, you know, the internet and the iPhone put me out of business. You know, they nobody, you don't have <laughs> you don't have arguments at tents and bars anymore that I could I can win. You know, everybody <laughs> can just look anything talk- up immediately uh, but yeah back in the day you, you kind of had to be a, a walking website um you know uh my love for sports is really kind of uh kind of unusual i think about this a lot um but you know when i was when i was very young very small you know i had no interest in, in sports no interest in playing no interest in, in doing anything i was kind of a you know as a kid i was kind of a wallflower <laughs> and I remember one, one day they were at, at, at Woodward School right down the street from where you and I grew up. Oh, yeah. um, They're playing, you know, kickball or or flag football or something. And, and I wasn't playing. I was, I was on the side. And my father came home from work that day and came home from work early that day and surprised me. He picked me up. I was about, I was about seven or eight. And he asked me on the way home, why weren't you playing with the other kids? And I said, I, I didn't like football. You know, I didn't like, any and he said what you know every boy loves football so he started I could tell he was kind of disappointed so he started taking me to like Yale football games or a local football games and I started watching everything with him you know I'd either watch uh, you know we'd watch everything from uh, you know the wide world of sports on Saturdays to the the pro bowlers tour and the golf oh, yeah. tournament <laughs>
0: and
1: of course, football and and ultimately, you know, I gravitated with him to, to baseball, and uh, and so I just from there I went from maybe being a seven-year-old, seven or eight-year-old kid that didn't even know sports existed to being a ten-year-old kid that never thought thought or talked about anything else. So that's kind of how it how it began. I guess that's the way it you know it often begins with the father-son relationship, and uh, and it just went on to. Um, you know, when I got to high school, as you know, I wanted to be a musician. Oh,
0: yeah. I you know, a great things, one I, at that.
1: You know, the, the, yeah, the two things I love to do is, you know, make people laugh and, and play the saxophone. And eventually, I realized that when people laugh when you play the saxophone, that's not a good one. <laughs> that's so, awesome. <laughs> so, so I started to think about being a sports writer. And, you know, long story short, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of options for college. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have any scholarships or anything. I went to Southern Connecticut, and they had a very uh, fledgling journalism program, basically started single handedly by this one amazing woman named Robin Glassman. Cool. And I got into it, and uh, it changed my life. You know, what I, I knew right away that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I wanted to be, and and I and I threw myself into it, and really the you know the rest was history. But I guess. You know, dialing back a little bit further, I can remember uh, you know, being at a, a, a Yankee game with my father when I was probably 13 or 14 and looking at the press box at Yankee Stadium and thinking, boy, that, that must be the greatest job in the world to, wow. to come to every game and, and be in there. And, 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 of course, eventually I got to do that many, many years later, and, and it was the greatest job in the world. So I just, I, I, I've just been very, very lucky, and then I, I figured out by 18 what I wanted to do, and, and I just never looked back.
0: That's amazing, uh, and uh, especially working with one of those amazing uh, teams, the Yankees. The history alone—I mean, was that always your? Were they always your favorite team growing up? And uh, did you have a soft spot for them, or?
1: Well, they—they they were my favorite team growing up. The Yankees and the Giants were my two favorite teams. Football Giants. Yeah, ditto. And, and I got and I got to cover both of those teams as beat writers, but that's pure. Coincidence, you know, when you get into sports riding, you don't really uh, get in to cover a certain team. Right. Uh, you gotta just go where it takes you. And I actually applied for the job of covering the Red Sox at the current, before the Yankees. And if I had gotten that, I would have been a Red Sox writer. There you but, go. <laughs> but, it, but, but it turned out, you know, being a, a, a Yankee fan growing up, I had a, a tremendous catalog of history in my head uh, to do it. And it worked out really, really well. And uh, it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a dream come true, for sure, and, and I got the chance to do that for you know, about nine or ten years, and uh, it was certainly the, the most enjoyable part of my career.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm so proud of you, too, to know that you got involved in that. Now, um, a question for you regarding covering the Yankees and all that. What, um, for you, was your most memorable moment of that time?
1: Yeah, the most memorable moment for me uh, was really lasted about a month, Uh, and it was a month that seemed like it lasted a hundred years, and also uh, seemed like it lasted a second, but it was the month following 9-11.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah, your most memorable moment, um, 9-11 at that time, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, you just, you just really got uh, a feel for how much it meant to people, how much baseball, how much the Yankees meant to people who, who were suffering. Um, and, you know, the games were so emotional, the crowd was so emotional. You know, the president showing up and throwing the first ball, is something that you you never forget. Yeah, I remember and
0: that.
1: in addition to that, the games were kind of legendary. There was the Derek Jeter, you know, flip game. Out in Oakland where he made that play. And, uh, you know, the, the, the World Series against Arizona, which they ultimately lost in, in Game 7, but was just an incredible you know, the, the two nights in a row at Yankee Stadium where they, um, they tied the game with two outs in the ninth inning with home runs. So it was a combination of incredible games played during an incredible time uh, when the country was so united and so together and so emotional and so – uh, in need of something like baseball to, to help take them away from it and, and ease the pain. So those, those those stand out in memory for me as as the most the most meaningful and therefore memorable things that I've ever covered. And some of the others just from a purely sports standpoint: uh, two thousand three in the Aaron Boone game when he hit the home run to beat the Red Sox, for the Yankees in the Bill Series; uh, two thousand four when the Red Sox came from three nothing down to to beat the Yankees and end the curse. That was <laughs> yeah. kind of the story of the deck. Um, and then on the football side, you know, I covered Super Bowl forty two when the Giants upset the Patriots, oh, the sweet. famous David Tyree game. Uh, a few other football games were, were that were memorable. So those are those are just uh, that would probably be my short list. Games, but but the nine eleven games stand out publicly. And also the the Subway World Series between the Yankees and the Mets—that—that that was for pure fun. That was probably probably uh, would be number one.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So, talk about the the book. I want you to let folks know about your book. Uh, it's called "The Franchise on the Rise: The First Twenty Years uh, of the New York Yankees." Uh, what brought you to writing that?
1: Well, you know, you, you may remember uh, back in in my high school days, uh, I'm very fascinated with. Uh, baseball of that period. Oh, yeah. Uh, 1900, 1920, period. And the New Haven Library had the, the greatest selection of stacks. They had old magazines going back to the that You could kind of tell them what you want, and they bring it out. And you can make, make Xerox copies, and I, I still have a lot of those. So I was very interested in in, in that period of baseball. There was a, a book out at the time called The Glory of Their Times, which was a guy at the I went around the country finding these old timers uh, 50 years later and read things in their words. And one of the guys he wrote about, Wood, who was a, a Red Sox star in 1912, he lived in New Haven. He coached huh. at Yale after the tired of his picture. And uh, I went and interviewed him when I was in college. So, and that didn't that jump way ahead. A mutual friend of ours, actually, Don Mooney.
0: Oh, yeah, Johnny.
1: was with me and he, and he, and he taped it. And we lost the tape. We didn't have the tape. And then thirty two years later, he emailed me and said, "Dom, I found the tape." Oh, that's wicked! And I played it, and I ended up writing the story about it. But I was fascinated with baseball in that period. And uh, this the publisher, uh, Skyhorse, um, they had contracted an old writer, Phil Pepe, who covered the Yankees in the sixties, to write this book on the early years of Yankee history, and he signed on to do it. But unfortunately, he passed away uh, as he was beginning. And uh, he he was a friend of mine. And then uh, a mutual friend of ours, also from the Daily News, Bill Madden, suggested that I do it. He knew it was right up my alley, right in my wheelhouse. Uh, And so I I agreed to do the book, uh, kind of pick up for him, uh, for Phil. And I dedicated the book to Phil. And so that's really how it came about. It was kind of a coincidence, but a coincidence really played. My strengths, and I kind of jumped in. And I was able to go to my mother's house and get some of those old copies I had made in the '70s and and, uh, and, and use them. And I, and, I, and I actually went to the, the library, and took out a book that in uh, research my book, and there was my name on it from 1977. Wow! I was the last guy to take that book out of the library. <laughs> That's so, so kind cool. Of, it was kind of a kind of a just a perfect storm of. Of, of something that happened that was offered to me and really played to my interest.
0: That's awesome. So uh, if somebody wants to purchase it, uh, can they get it online? Is it available through some
1: yeah, websites? It, uh, or? Uh, it's probably uh, sitting there in, uh, in, in Barnes & Noble or other bookstores. Excellent. I know it's still out there. Uh, and, and, of course, you can get it online. Amazon has it and, and other, you know, Target, other, place, other websites that... That's still books. It should be pretty easy to find if you do a search on it.
0: Excellent. That's so cool.
1: Probably get it much cheaper now, actually.
0: <laughs> but it's uh, priceless when uh, for the reader, that's for sure. Um, before we uh, cut off here, uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. And um, also, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, baseball right now? Um, You don't have to get into too much with this quarantine stuff and COVID, but what are your thoughts on the season going on right now? And uh, tell us about what you're doing now in your career.
1: Well, uh, after the business changed and and the the current decided it didn't need to own staff or Yankees anymore, that ended uh, around 2011 for me, and I went on to – to cover UConn men's basketball, right. which is obviously uh, uh, vital to the current. Uh, that's probably a key to survival in anything. Do do what your company needs more than what you really want to do.
0: Exactly. So I've
1: been covering on men's basketball for the last uh, nine years, um, going into uh, my ninth year on that. And it's been, uh, it's been a new lease on life uh, in my career. It's uh, been very refreshing. You know, when I was – Covering the Giants, I was in my thirties. The players were in their late twenties, early thirties. When I was covering the game, players were in their late 30s, early forties in some cases. Then I started covering UConn, and now I'm in my fifties, and they're all nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of crazy uncle, I guess, to, to a lot of those kids. But it's been it's been a lot of fun. College basketball has uh, kind of an emotion and a oh,
0: and a definitely
1: its own, and that's been. That's been a great ride, but I do uh, try to keep my hand in in baseball wherever I can. I still vote for the Hall of vote for the Hall of Fame. I still remain an active member of the uh, of the of the baseball writers, and I I do a lot of UConn baseball, a lot of college baseball, and you know hometown guys who are playing baseball. And I write a little bit for Baseball Digest. Oh, neat. An occasional occasional story for them. I've got uh, this week on presidents throwing out. For Pitches through the years. So if you run across that in Barnes and Noble, appreciate it if you pick it up. They'll pay the bills a little bit. But uh, so I try to keep my hand in baseball. As far as baseball today, um, boy, I got to tell you, there are times when I don't even recognize it. Yeah. I don't even recognize the game. It's changed so much. Um, And, you know, I know that the analytics, the advanced numbers uh, have become a huge part of it. Game it's that's that's where it is now. If you're going to write it, if you're going to cover it, you got to you got to be conversant in that. Um, but I think that, that that's kind of become too dominant in the game. It's become too dominant in the way the game is played, and in the way the game is evaluated, uh, and in the game, the way the game is is even talked about. I think there's um, you know the, a lot of the, the fun aspects of the game, just hitting the ball and running lost because every hitter is so conscious of on-base percentage and home runs that every at-bat seems to end in either a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. And you don't have that that free-flowing element of, of running first to third and stealing bases and guys spraying the ball around. Yeah. Uh, Everybody trying to trying to hit the ball in the air. Uh, you know, it just it doesn't have that same feel to it. It's almost... It's almost like a home run derby feel where everyone's swinging for the fences. So it's not as enjoyable to watch to me as it used to be. Uh, and that's something that, that needs to change. I think they, they could change it by calling more strikes, which would force hitters to hit the ball where it's pinched and play it around a little bit more. But I think you'd have more consistent act, uh, and, and you would get rid of the shift that way. Um, so that's, there are a lot of things that, that that have happened in baseball organically that I don't really care for. This year, with the um, you know trying to play through this pandemic, has just been um, you know I give them a lot of credit for trying. and I'm glad there's baseball to watch and listen to and follow. I think I think they will try to do it, uh, and uh, and I give them credit for sticking with it. They've incorporated some changes that may make sense this year because they're trying to cram sixty games in. Right. For instance, playing seven games, playing seven inning games for doubleheaders. I think you probably have to do that this year because they're trying to play so many doubleheaders. Of course, but yeah. in a way, I would not want to see that. Yeah, no way. Uh, you know the, the three batter limit, or the three batter minimum for relievers coming in. Uh, it's well intentioned to speed the game up. But I think it, it hamstrings a manager too much. I hope they don't. Uh, starting extra innings with a runner on second base. You know, again, I think it makes some sense this year because you want to stay away from 18, 19, 20 inning games. Exactly. But I don't I don't think you want to do that in a normal season. And and one of the, you know, I would say that's not a bad rule to have maybe starting the 12th inning or the 13th. You know, give the teams three innings of conventional baseball to solve it's it. a good and then idea. introduce this artificial element to try to to try to end the game. Uh, so there's just there are a lot of things that I you know I don't I don't fault them for trying it. Uh, I don't fault them for doing some things to adjust to a sixty game season. Uh, but with with all these interruptions due to the due to positive tests. But I I do hope that when we get back to normal, they get back to normal I don't like the new North baseball. I guess.
0: Yeah, that's a great take, man. And uh, before we leave, I got one more question. Tell me about the Dom Amore burger. What is that all about?
1: Well, um, there's a, a, a sports <laughs> bar in New York City uh, by the name of Foley's. Foley's, yep, and, very
0: familiar with it.
1: Don Clancy, the uh, owner, a uh, great guy, great friend of mine, great friend of baseball. Um you know, by the way, he'd actually have uh, – if baseball writers came in, he would have them sign baseball. But there's actually a signed baseball, you know, by me in, in, in Foley's. And um, I don't sign too many baseballs because I don't want the value to diminish. <laughs> no, stop it. Market value. But they have the only one in existence there in Foley's. So when I wrote the book, uh, Sean loves to do book launches and book discussions and programs and stuff agreed to host my, my book launch party in July of 2018. So uh, couldn't ask for a better host or a better place to have it. And what he did, he names a, 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 a burger after somebody different every week. And by the way, John Mooney, is his PR guy. Oh, okay. Kind of, <laughs> and so they named a the burger after me and I guess it was uh, he and, and, and Mooney kind of concocted it together
0: that <laughs>
1: since was the was guy, they put a pepperoni, a little pepperoni pizza <laughs> New <Avon> inside <laughs> a burger. So I, I, and I said, well, you should offer this with a cardiologist. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: a pepperoni it was, pizza was, on the burger. It
1: was, yeah, it was, it was yes. Yeah, so you have been into the burger and it was like, know sauce and cheese and dough and pepperoni coming out of it it was it was quite an experience it was good i mean i'll admit it it was good um but yeah so for that one week there was a dom and mori burger and it it had the new haven pizza flavor to it that's and, uh, awesome and in an irish pub uh, surrounding it was <laughs> a lot of that was, that was that was a lot of fun but sadly you know phobia did not survive the pandemic sean yeah. decided not to reopen when it's over, you know the bars in New York have been closed for
0: six months. Oh God, 600.
1: yeah. And uh, but I do hope, and he hopes that he is able to reopen it again when when it's over. You know, somewhere else, maybe he could get a better lease. Uh, I think there'll be plenty of, of uh, commercial real estate. Oh, again. definitely, for gone, sure. Hopefully, he'll be able to, to do that. But yeah, that's that's the story that the Donald. <laughs> that is
0: him. awesome. Yeah.
1: Uh, any, any number of jokes you can insert there.
0: <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for taking this time out. I know um, you're teaching now too, so you took some time from your uh, hectic schedule to help me out here. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome catching up with you, and I uh, promise not to lose touch again. And um, also, uh, I'll promote the show soon. It's probably it's going to air, I believe, August fifteenth. I'll let you know. Okay. And. Um, We'll uh, get folks to follow you too, and um, on uh, Facebook and all that. And uh, it is such a blessing to have you as a friend, and I appreciate uh, still having the connection here. And I want to thank you again, Dom, for being on today.
1: You got it, John. You know we New Haven guys, we Notre Dame guys. Oh yeah. You know, we're, 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 we're friends for life. You know
0: that we got to stick together. Well, folks, thanks again for tuning in on, on, uh, have a little here and remember always have a little faith, a little hope, and always have a lot of love, especially for yourself and love what you do. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.